This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show Podcast. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adori on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! <laughs> It sure is that time. It's the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I am your host covering everything sport, international and local. Hope you're having a blessed day wherever you're tuned in around the world, whether it's 95FM, Pulse95Radio.com, our app, Sharjah Broadcasting Authority, even if you're chilling at home watching us live on YouTube. What a guest and what a show I have in store for you today. Because as you know on the show, on the Halftime Show, it's more than just a sports show. It's more than just a health show and fitness and well-being. We always focus on different aspects of the brain, mental health, mental fitness, and today, Dr. David Lee is on the show, a trained consultant, clinical psychologist, coach, father, and athlete. Wow, try saying that 10 times. And we pick his brain on mental well-being, creating habits, procrastination, elimination, see, I'm even rhyming, and much more throughout this episode. I'm a fan of his work, so I know you're going to love it. I can't wait to share this episode with you. We're almost at 300 people, 300, who would have thought? So stay tuned for more on the only place to be at three, the halftime show on Pulse 95. This is the halftime show with Omar Adouri. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the halftime show with Omar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Abdouri. I am your host, covering everything sport, international and local. Right, let's get stuck into it. Dr. David Lee is in the building. Dr. David, how are you doing? Hey, Omar. Yeah, great to be here. Good, thank you. It's great to have you here, man. I, I, uh, I have to give a shout out to also uh, Matt Marnie, who was on the show as well. I listened uh, to your show with him and it was great, man. Really good. And uh, I thought thanks for that, that yeah. was really, really yeah, good content. We did a great podcast together. Yeah, 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 yeah it was, it was good. Really lovely. Good. And amongst those things in the podcast that you guys discussed was, uh, you know, habits. And, the, and I wanted you to kind of share with us the breakdown of habits because I know it starts, the process of it starts quite early on. Can you let us know a little bit more about the breakdown of habits? Yeah, well, habits is anything that becomes automatic to us, you know. We, we tend to follow habits unconsciously, you know, or, uh, you know, involuntarily, if you like. There are any behaviours that we have. Of course, they can be good habits and they can be bad habits, but there are any behaviours that become ingrained for us, usually because they start off consciously. And if we're talking about good habits here, they have to start off consciously and be done repetitively over and over and over with consistency for them to become ingrained and become automatic. And that's the challenge, of course, developing good habits that we have to actually, uh, you know, first of all, be conscious before they become ingrained and we can start to, that's not to say they, they, they ever really become easy to do, mm. but they become automatic. They become much more part of our routine yeah. if they're done with consistency. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people that have different opinions on how long a habit takes. Yeah. But as you said, when it gets, you know, ingrained, that, mm. that takes some time. Yeah. How much time does it take? Yeah. Well, I suppose it depends what it is as well. I mean, there's lots of, um, you know, writings out there and people are saying it takes 21 days or it takes 30 days you hear that one a lot but it depends what it is really that's the reality of it and it depends how much 
you want that habit to become part of your life mm. and is it something that you'll be doing daily for example is it something you're just going to be doing several times a week yeah. you know like let's take nutrition for example if you're going to radically change your eating habits well you can set out with with that agenda you know but you've got to stick to it each and every day you've got to look at every single meal you have you probably got to do a meal plan yeah that might be easy to let that slip it might be easily easy to do that for say three weeks and then it could fall by the wayside mm. with habits they've got to be consciously practiced at first until they become ingrained and it really depends what it is whether it's going to be a daily thing that you're doing something that you're going to be going to be doing weekly every few days yeah it takes you know repetition and commitment to weave new habits into your routine so let me throw one your way sure. client comes into your into your office and says regarding nutrition even though you know that's not the primary focus here but one of the things that affects the brain and affects us is sugar how long would you advise to be patient to get rid of the habit sugar yeah, I remember, uh, I think Matt and I talked about this. Uh, we certainly touched on the high sugar diets. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, so first and foremost, mm. I say that. But in terms of, you know, the habit, um, you would have to, I mean, some people, it, it depends on the individual. Some people will right. say, okay, like I did many years ago, I'm not having sugar in my tea anymore. Okay, that doesn't mean I don't have sugar in other foods. Yes. But for other people, if you're going on, you know, and once again, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a yeah. nutritionist, they have to say that. But for some people, it, it's gradually phasing out. It, mm. it does really, really depend on the individual. Um, I know some people who are very all or nothing and that for them is a good thing. You know, they're very binary. So the minute they say, okay, I'm not, I'm not eating sugar now, I'm, I'm cutting mm. it out or I'm cutting out... Something else, you know, cutting out uh, any other sort of unhelpful you know, aspects of that. I'm going to stop eating ice cream, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're able to do it, and they're able to do it really, really quickly. My sense is where it's a problem for you. For example, if you're dependent on a high-sugar diet, and that's mm. all you're doing each and every day, you're eating sweets and ice cream and all sorts of things that contain high sugar, then you, you're going to struggle to make that shift into the new habit of going pretty much sugar-free, you know? Mm, mm. That's interesting. And is it as easy to create a habit as it is to eliminate a habit once again yeah i mean you know these questions you could there's the easy answer that you could say yeah. yes it is and then there's the there's the nuances there yeah, yeah. <laughs> what i would say about this is it depends again on what the habit is you're trying to eliminate and what the new habit is the good habit that you're trying to develop right yeah there are lots of things that that can make it easier so they they say you know um for example James Clear writes in his book, Atomic Habits, about making a, a bad habit unattractive. You make a bad habit unattractive and make a good habit, even though it might be tough to do at first, if you make it attractive, mm. often by giving yourself a reward at the end of it when you start doing it, that that can help the process. Yeah, I always think about not overcomplicating things and either you focus on eliminating a bad habit first or you concentrate on developing... A habit and that's often best thought of as developing a new routine in some way yeah so i'm going to start exercising on this day at this time that's a routine really mm. and you, you you know that's that's about behavior i i often think if you're trying to get rid of one thing and replace it with another i i honestly believe that people overcomplicate the process of habits getting rid of bad habits dysfunctional habits and um working on developing new habits i believe that the process can become overcomplicated and people often that's why people give up they don't know where to start I don't know whether to give up smoking or start running I don't know whether to just start running and carry on smoking yeah. I don't know whether to give up vaping but increase my uh, time spent in the gym yeah. you know 
Just focus on one thing at a time. Make your life easier. I love the fact you, you mentioned to simplify it because often there was always this this theory that, oh, multitask. Try and get as many things yeah. done as possible. But multitasking can't yeah. always be good. Why is that? Yeah, it's the enemy. Yeah, multitasking. Well, people think it's a good thing, don't they? They do several tasks at once, mm. you know, keep lots of things on the go at once. That doesn't mean you can't manage a schedule where you've got multiple priorities to attend to. What it means is that at any one time, you can only really focus your energy and your effort on one thing. And cognitively, we know that. You know, in my profession as a psychologist, cognitive psychology has told us that for years in terms of selective attention. Mm. You know, it's like a spotlight. We bring our attention on one thing. We try and distribute that attention. That's where human error occurs. We start to make all sorts of mistakes in all kinds of ways. If you can get good at doing one thing at a, at a time, all at once, and bringing all of your energy and effort and focus to that, you tend to become quite skilled at it. You mm. know? Has, has technology distorted our cognitive thinking? Hugely, yeah. And if we're talking about attention and short-term memory and what we call working memory, absolutely, in terms of our processing capacity. Why? Because people are oft, often trying to do several things at once, as you say there. They're trying to check their, their emails, their WhatsApp messages, uh, post on Instagram, you know, mm. check yeah. something. <laughs> says says on Instagram. Um, <laughs> as they're trying to do something else, you know, yeah. as they're trying to, uh, you know, type up a report or something like that or, or pay their bills um, it, it, what he stopped us doing is being able to bring our attention just in on one thing and do that one thing well mm. you know without mm. mistakes or with uh, as fewer mistakes as possible yeah love that before before we take a break I just wanted to ask you is there a common myth that you always hear when, with patients or clients that come to you about habits yeah, it's usually around, um, it usually is something around, is there a hack that you can just do with me to take away this habit? So sometimes, being a psychologist and also in some, some of my coaching work as well, yeah. I get that a lot. People come to me and they think that I'm going to do something to them, you know, externally from the outside in hypnosis or something or some some mind hack mm -hmm. that's just going to take away the habit i think that's what people latch onto sometimes as a bit of a myth they don't understand that they need to do the work and it's about their behavior and their commitment to change mm. that's where behavioral change occurs and that's yeah. how bad habits are broken and good habits can can become part of a routine very good very good i told you it was <laughs> going to be good right we're going to take a quick break and we're going to see you right after this here's some burner boy donna moy here you go folks this is the halftime show with omar adouri oh he loves the fire then what's the goal this is the halftime show with omar adouri on pulse 95 nice strike are back and we're back live in the half Sharjah on Pulse 95 Radio. If you are just tuning in and kicking yourself for missing the first segment, which was a wicked segment, by the way, don't worry, you can head over to the YouTube channel Pulse 95 Radio and all of our episodes with our incredible guests are on there across all the shows. And also, if you like a podcast, head over to Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, type in the halftime show on Pulse 95 Radio and we are there. Right, okay, Dr. David Lee's in the building. We're talking all sorts of good stuff. We talked about habits in the first segment. Now, one of the things, uh, Dr. David, I, I wanted to kind of run by you is procrastination. This We hear this term all the time. What is it? 
What's your opinion on it? And what can we do to avoid it? Yeah, I define uh, procrastination as uh, postponing or avoiding um, any task, that, whether it's difficult or not, that's in your best interest to do. Postponing it, putting it off, delaying it, avoiding it, you know, usually in favour of something else. Hmm. But remember that bit, it's something that is in your best interest to do. Otherwise, there's no harm in procrastinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's different forms of it. Yeah, well, you can you can either avoid it outright, or you can do something else, can't you? You can watch Netflix instead of building your business, or right? Something like that, you know, <laughs> you can. Uh, I don't know. There's all sorts of things we could come up with. You could you could stay in bed as opposed to exercise. I suppose that is procrastination. Yeah, it's basically you usually. Um, deceive yourself into thinking you're going to do it at some point and maybe you will do it at some point but the bottom line is why it's a problem is because you're avoiding it now when it is your be- in your best interest to do it mm, that's is, what procrastination is is there something that triggers that off or is there something that you should kind of be aware of when it does happen that you should actually do something about yeah. it well I, I tend to think that what's happened is that people have now got more available to them the means of instant gratification. So what they do is if anything's kind of difficult to deal with, and you know you should tackle it, but it's going to involve some effort, some hard work, and maybe a bit of short-term pain, mm. you're likely to go with a thing that's going to give you an instant hit, right? You, yeah. you, you want that high or you want to escape the pain. Right. So what I believe is that, yeah, procrastination comes from if you're over-reliant on instant gratification, you're more likely to procrastinate. If you're able to delay rewards and get stuck in knowing that ultimately the reward is going to be, the, the payoff is going to be because you, you, you've done the task eventually, Yeah. you're more likely to get stuck in. Um, but we know, you know, with some people... Um, they're just not able to withstand a lot of pain or they're not allowed, they're not able to go for so long without that instant gratification. Mm. Yeah, in other words, it, it, it's hard work. Hard, hard work is not instantly gratifying, is it? Yeah. You know, the reward comes at the end or yeah. after a delayed period of time. You know? Yeah, and also the idea of identifying whether it's pain or just fear exactly. of pain. Yeah, yeah. And often the fear itself mm. is enough for people. Like they have what we talk about as an anticipatory fear or anticipatory anxiety. Yeah. You know, oh, I, I don't know how I'm going to cope when I start this task because it's going to be really difficult and, and I'm going to go to pieces and I'm not going to be... But actually, when people get stuck into to whatever it is they're avoiding... They tend to do okay. So actually, at the outset, it was it was the anticipation of doing it that was worse than actually getting stuck into the task itself. Mm. And when you co- when you coach normally, yeah, you coach them how to how to deal with fight or flight and identifying yeah. the difference yeah. between fight, flight, or freeze. Is that is that yeah, stuff that absolutely. You do? It comes up a lot, you know, in my coaching sessions with clients, as well as you know when I'm doing my clinical work and I'm doing therapy is around how to actually respond to your body's own response because that is an inwired response. Mm. Your fight or flight response, or as you rightly said that, your fight, flight, freeze response, because mm. we do have a freeze response as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's an old inwired mechanism in the body that we need. You know, when we lived in more primitive societies thousands and millions of years ago, 
we needed to keep ourselves safe from being killed from wild animals and predators and all that kind of thing. Yeah. In this day and age, the threats are much more of uh, what we create them to be in our own mind. But our body still responds in the same way. Our brain is linked to our autonomic nervous system. The fight, flight or freeze response is part of that system. Yeah. And when people when people begin to understand that, it starts to make a bit of sense to them. And that, that is kind of an inroad, if you like, to help people to get to face some of their fears, some mm. of what they're scared of. So they can understand, oh, yeah, it's my body that's responding in this way. It's not just that, you know, I'm a complete wuss or whatever and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm scared of everything. No, your body responds in a certain way to the, where, it, where it perceives threat. Often you can't do anything about that, but what you can do is to face that, take steps towards whatever you're avoiding, understand that fear and anxiety are a normal part of the process, mm. and that fear, both fear and anxiety decline over time anyway if you approach whatever it is that you're scared of. It's when you avoid the, yeah. like avoiding yeah. work or avoiding anything. That's how a phobia is created. You know, when you avoid whatever it is you're scared of and you don't approach it to test out that it's, it's no harm to you and even if it is harmful you, you've probably got the resources to cope with it unless of course it's directly dangerous to you you know yeah. in which case you, you don't you know you don't go and put your hand in a tiger's mouth or something like correct, that correct. there are some phobias that make real sense right yeah and and as a psychologist and a coach I mean I'm, I'm very intrigued by how do you when when a, a patient or a client comes to you, how do yeah. you help them channel their fear mm-hmm. as part of the process so they don't panic yeah. through fight, flight or freeze? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the ways we do that is by helping the individual, the client, to become aware of what's going on in the body, to become mindfully aware of it, if you like, but still to take action in terms of whatever it is that matters to them for them to do and that's a lot about your values you know that if facing something and not procrastinating on it is something that you value it's something meaningful to you something that will help you and others to do then we've got to look at how to face that but in order to do that we have to help you to develop some skills and strategies so that you don't get swamped by your feelings so you don't get completely taken over by anxiety and by the physical manifestations of that if you like Mm. so giving people those skills to stay in the body because often it's when we get caught up in our minds and our thoughts that we go round and round with what if what if this happens what if that happens and before you know it you're completely overwhelmed if we take it one step at a time and break it down and take action then what we do is we learn to we learn to be present there's also i mean there's a second part to that as well which is kind of you you can understand that fear anxiety the fight flight freeze response is normal and necessary for some things so for some things for example in competitive sport it makes sense to get scared to get a bit anxious to get nerves to get the adrenaline flowing around the body mm. and the cortisol as well because that that means that that you you're going to detect threat even if that threat is you know uh, having a, a goal scored against you or something mm. yeah. um you you in other words it's a good thing if you don't like compete to a high level and have any anxiety or fear then there's a problem it's not going to help to improve your performance excellent really good god that was good (laughs) all right okay we're gonna take a break (laughs) i really enjoyed that segment i want to ask him one or two more questions but we're going to give you a bit of a breather have something to drink and come straight back after this on the only place to be at three the halftime show on pulse 95 this is the halftime show 
with Omar Maduri on Power to the body, mind, and soul. And on the show today, we've got Dr. David Lee, who's in the building, who's a trained consultant, uh, trained consultant, clinical psychologist, coach, father, and an athlete, and also a bit of a mixed martial artist as well. Um, Dr. David, we spoke uh, a lot about different things today, and I'm really interested to kind of run it back and, and go over it. Modern society has its expectations. Uh, it's almost common to, to do so many things at once because we're under this that life runs at 200 miles an hour. Uh, what is it about multitasking and not simplifying that has got us to this point now? Yeah. Well, I think what happens is people uh, buy into this myth that it's quantity versus quality. You know, I think a lot of people, they think if I can, you know, be great at everything and pack so much into my day um, that's a good thing and it, it's quite seductive as well you know if you uh, if you're someone who likes variety in your life let's say you you probably one of the biggest risks that you probably have to your own well-being and mental health is probably that you try and cram too much into your day and different things um, whereas if you pare that down and just really think about how to do a few of those things really well. Like, for example, if you're working on a project in your life, you're best to just focus on that project and have that as the, as the main thread in your life. Like, mm. say you're setting a, a I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm being ambitious for people here now, setting up a business, writing a book as, as you've done, Omar. You need to, to focus all your time, energy and effort on that thing to do it well, to see it through. Because the other thing is so many people start things and don't finish them. Yeah. You know, they're good starters, but very poor finishers. They tend to sort of fade somewhere in the middle and they just give up and it ends up as another unfinished project, whatever it is. Yeah. And you don't want a lifetime of that. You don't want to keep doing that over and over and over because that's pretty soul-destroying. That's yeah. pretty bad for your self-esteem if you keep doing that. The other thing is, um, it's not good for us to have so much diverse stimulation every day, you know, to just cram everything into your schedule so between waking up in the morning and going to bed at night that you don't have a rest at any yeah. point you don't have any relaxation in there you don't have any time when you can just be mindfully present so I'm a big advocate of mindfulness and meditation you know very interesting um, and they're not necessarily the same thing you know mindfulness doesn't need to mean meditation there is being mindfully present and there is mindfulness meditation but the idea that we all need time in our day where we could just bring our attention to the present moment and you know and just sometimes do things that you actually enjoy because that's part of your value system yeah you know a lot of people are trying to you know they're very task oriented and they're trying to do so many tasks all at once it, it generally it isn't good for us it isn't good for us mentally um, it, it doesn't do our, our cognitive capacities any good, as we've already spoken about, you know, mm. because when we try and focus on too many things at once, we don't tend to do to do any of them well. Yeah. And um, yeah, our whole system, we talked before about the nervous system. Yeah. The brain is linked to the nervous system. 
the nervous system links to the organs in our body. Mm. You know, you put, you you tax your tax your nervous system too much. Yeah, it's gonna have an effect on on your body. If you're always in fight or flight, mm-hmm. sympathetic nervous system, that's not a good thing. That's not how we're actually meant to be. Yeah, we should be in fight, flight, or freeze. If there is a real threat or danger to us, mm. we shouldn't always be in that state. We should be in the what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. where we're able to just be present you know soothe ourselves because for the most part that's that's where we um that's where we're at our optimal that's yeah. where we operate best we don't operate best when we're always in fight flight freeze, freeze. yeah high energy yeah danger threat yes. respond react yes. rather than just you know let's just be in this situation in the moment and respond as and when we need to so yeah you know? Well, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the parasympathetic, yeah. Also, the sympathetic, yeah. And Shayma asks a very good question here on the Instagram live. She said, "How do you make the balance in your life?" And obviously, by controlling those yeah. factors, that would help. How do you strike the right balance? Absolutely, yeah. And it just relates to exactly what we we're saying there mm. about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. But not to get all too scientific for a moment, how do you do that at a practical level? Well, it's about self-awareness, isn't it, first and foremost? You need to be aware of the activities you're engaging in to be able to slow down or to balance them. Now, at a very practical level, I would say always, always, always having a schedule that you stick to. Um, That doesn't mean that your schedule is always about doing more and only being task-oriented. Your schedule can help you to relax. You have a a time in the evening where you switch off and you say, from that time onwards, that's where I spend time with my family. That's that's when I relax. This slot here, this is where I go to the gym. This is where I do my grocery shopping. This is where I do my my work. This little slot here, this is where I get up early in the morning and this is where I do some exercise and come back and read a book. If we don't schedule, we live such busy lives now, and there's so many demands on us, especially people who've got families and children and things. Yeah. So many demands on us that if you don't do that in some way, shape, or form, you're never you're never going to have balance in your life. That's the reality of it. Yeah. So having developing habits through scheduling, and having what we call you know precisely scheduled rituals, if you like, which are the sort of non-negotiables. Yeah. Is is actually a helpful thing. It shouldn't so much bog you down as help to make your life easier. Excellent, excellent. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Here's some Davido, DNG, Summer Walker. Love this track. Enjoy. This is the halftime show with Omar Adouri. Oh, he loves the pilot. What a goal! This is the halftime show with Omar Adouri on Pulse ninety five. Nice strike. Yes, we are back and we're back live in the heart of Sharjah on Pulse 95 Radio with your boy Omar Duri here making it happen on the Halftime Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you're having a great day and hope you are blessed and everyone is good. Right, okay. Dr. David, <laughs> some wicked questions coming through. I wanted to ask a question before I get to, the, to everyone's questions, but how important is breath work in stabilizing the nervous system when sometimes things get maybe a bit tensed a bit a bit anxious how how important is breath work yeah it's really important just to say uh first of all we mentioned the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system before Mm. 
The breath is really important to get us into parasympathetic, which is our sooth state, it's our natural sooth state. And that's the out-breath that gets us into that. So if we focus on our breathing and we focus consciously on the longer out-breath, so we slow down our breath, yeah, we sometimes call it soothing rhythm breathing. There are different thought forms. There's diaphragmatic breathing as well. Yeah. That can be really, really helpful. So just taking time out to just sit, and breathe and you know slow down the breathing um, can be really helpful the other thing is i mean there are all sorts of ways to practice controlled breathing in a way that's helpful for us there's mindful breathing as i've said this soothing rhythm breathing there's diaphragmatic breathing there's box breathing mm -hmm. so the breath you know what we loosely call breath works um is really important and what i would encourage you know, maybe your listeners to do if they're interested is just to explore, is to look into this, you know. Yeah. Fantastic book, um, Breath by James Nestor, book that came out in the last couple of years or so, um, really, really breaks it down. I mean, when I work with my clients, either in therapy or in coaching, invariably I'm going to come back to the breath at some point mm. to help that client in some way. It's just, it's just going to happen. It's so much a core of what I do because it's so central to our well-being and our mental health yeah. to be aware of our breathing. Yeah, question here coming in for you. Dr. David, what's the most challenging thing being a psychologist? Ah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you got? Um, <laughs> wow. I would say, I mean, I'm a clinical psychologist, yeah. right? So it differs among different psychologists. Um, but speaking as a clinical psychologist, working with clients pretty much day in day out and having done this for you know the best part of sort of 20 years now qualified for 15 years it would be the balance between educating clients around something they're not aware of mm -hmm. giving that you know what we call psychoeducational information if you like um, and sitting back and exploring, asking nice. them questions, what we what we talk about as guided discovery. And that's really, I think that's a skill that, that you learn. I don't think any psychologist, you know, has it, any therapist has it down perfectly, how much you guide your client and how much you tell them and educate them and advise them, as opposed to how much you back off and explore and listen to them mm. and facilitate them having the answers and them finding their way through their problems yeah undoubtedly some clients will you know they they, they, they come to us and they they just want us to fix their problems yeah from the outside in you know and that's just not possible <laughs> correct uh there's a couple of questions here uh, one from maria and one from little m's uh maria asks how do you reset and uh little m's asks how to how do you know when you need to reset so that's mm. Those are both questions targeted for you about resetting. About resetting? Yeah. Ah, okay. I was going to say, is it how do, how do you reset generally or how do I reset? Ah. I, th I think, yeah, I think it, you can answer it whichever way you want. Yeah, it depends what we mean by by reset here, I think. And plug, plug, I know that that's the name of your book, Omar. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I use the term reset. I think I use it as a metaphor a lot with my clients. Yeah to reset and to, to to reset your system. So how do you reset? Okay, we talked just a moment ago about the breath. That's mm. one way you can reset by just changing your breathing pattern. Um, your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, and I, I, I was doing some um, uh, reading around this recently, which I'd never considered this before, but actually a way of resetting your parasympathetic nervous system is to just sigh with your breath. Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. It acts as like a minor or well, micro reset during yeah. the day. 
to sort of reset your system and then, okay, go again. Yeah. Right. Um, there are different ways you, you could do it. You could say you could interrupt your thinking pattern. So people would talk about that. That if you're, let's say you're going down a train of thought and, and that's always about the worst case scenario and that's always about the worst thing that's going to happen. You could say a reset on that is to suddenly become self-aware, catch yourself and say, no, is there another way to look at this? Mm. Yeah. That's back to self-awareness again. So it really depends what we mean by resetting. Do we mean resetting our system, resetting our body, resetting our thinking, resetting our behavior, which could be about starting a new habit, particular day and particular time? Mm-hmm. It depends what you mean is the short answer Very to the question. Very good. I, I like the things you mentioned <laughs> there. That's a new episode. Before we uh, wrap up, where can we follow you? Uh, you can follow me at various places, actually. Follow me on LinkedIn, Dr. David Lee. You can follow me on Instagram as well. It's Dr. David A. Lee, psychologist. That's my Instagram handle. Fantastic. And there you have it, folks. We're wrapping Welcome. up. That's full time on the Halftime Show. There's the whistle. Uh, see you soon every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, 3 to 4. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday from 3 p.m. 